And hello, movie lovers. And today I have a very special guest with me. She's a very good friend of the podcast. It's such an honor to actually have Beth back on from Made for Movie TV podcast. And, you know, it's always fun whenever she's on here and stuff like that. So go on ahead, give a round of applause for Beth. And with further ado, we're going to be doing our 1982 review of The Thing. So let's go on ahead. Let's just jump on into it. Hey, Beth, how have you been doing? Hi, John. Congratulations, and thank you for having me back. We always have such a good time when we uh, talk movies. Thank you so much. And yes, it, it's always a pleasure to be able to geek out about certain movies, especially in the 80s. And this I is know. actually set in 1982. I love I, I love 80s movies. You know that. We've done a lot of them together. Mm-hmm. So, And I think last year we did The Fog, and it was about, about right about the same time as this. Yeah, we did. Um, we winded up doing The Fog last year around this time because it was during spooky season. And it was during Halloween. My favorite. <laughs> and mine too. And, you know, I fit. And here's the thing I'm doing a ranking later on of my top five or top 10 John Carpenter movies. So I'm wrapping all that up with this one. And you won't believe this, but a couple of years ago was my first time that I ever saw the thing for the first time ever. I believe it because, so, you know, I saw it. I, I saw it. I didn't see it in the theaters. I was I'm pretty sure this was rated R, I'm guessing. And so I would have still been young enough that I didn't see it in the theater. But I do remember like when it was on ABO and when like we would rent it. But it has been a really long time since I've seen it. Most definitely. But, you know, my first time viewing it, I didn't appreciate it as much as I did with some of the other John Carpenter films and stuff like that. It took me a little bit to resonate with this film and then to wind it up re-watching it. And I winded up loving it more than I did the uh, last couple of times I tried to watch it. And this budget was, the budget as a matter of fact, was only $15 million and it made $19.6 million in the box office. So it made some bank at, at the movies, but enough to actually call it a cult classic because everybody likes this movie. Yeah. It's also another yeah. thing too. Right. And I think I read when I was doing a little bit of re- not a lot of research, but I did a little research. And I think this was considered like his first Carpenter's like first sort of bigger budget film, if I remember correctly. So he had a lot going on when he made this film. I mean, the stakes were high for him. Most definitely coming off of Halloween. And then you also have several other movies that he's done. Mm-hmm. And then this tone is totally different than what he normally does. Yeah. Because normally you see him do like these cheap, over the top, cheesy kind of films. And those are his kind of jam. This is kind of tone. This is totally different than that. And I liked how serious this was. And you have Kurt Russell who plays this rugged, tough guy kind of role. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really like. And a matter of fact, I'm just going to start off with like a little bit of a plot synopsis of it. It starts off in Antarctica. A helicopter pursues a sled dog to an American research station. The researchers witnesses as the passenger accidentally blows up a helicopter and himself the fellow shoots the dog and shouts out at the Americans in Norwegian. So that's a little bit of a short synopsis when it comes down to this film. But the reason why I like it is because of the fact that you have the slow build mm-hmm. to where we get to that point. Because I'm glad they don't go on ahead and show us aliens or anything with the shape-shifting elements in this film until like later on. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was really clever. And I liked it because, like you were saying, this and this film is really cinematic in that the photography was phenomenal. I mean, 
it's a beautiful film when you watch it and the music is so good. This was kind of back when music was really composed for, for movies a little bit differently than they do it today. But um, it was a very slow build and almost, I almost was getting to the point where like, okay, now I, I can't remember what's happening. So let's move it along a little bit, but I think it all ties itself together in the end. Most definitely. And another thing that I liked is too, it has this little mystery kind of element to it if people know, haven't seen it for the very first time. You're wondering, okay, what the heck is going on? Why is this helicopter crash? Why is this? And also too, why did he accidentally blow up the helicopter? Why does he have grenades on there? So there's a lot of mystery elements within this film itself. So it gives you a little bit of a suspense, a little bit of mystery and hiding a little bit of the elements that we know as horror, which is something that I really liked about this compared to Halloween. Because with Halloween, mm -hmm. you have basically your slasher and that's it. But this one is a slow burn. And then once you get into that slow, uh, the rhythm of it, it does not slow down. No. Yeah. Once it's, I mean, it, and it picks up, I mean, like it starts off with that dog running. So there's action immediately and you kind of feel like, oh, this is going to be just a full on action film, but it's, it's not really, it, it has action, but it's not an action. So it, it almost kind of falls under a couple of genres, but it's definitely not a slasher film at all. So it really kind of differs from Halloween in, in that regard alone. But I also kept thinking to myself, oh, this has. It, it had a very X-Files feel about it. So I wonder if Chris Carter, who created X-Files, was influenced by this film. Because did you watch the X-Files ever, John? Yeah, and of course I did. I grew up in the 90s. I remember when what? it first premiered. I know. <laughs> so. So it's really in my top five, probably in my top two favorite TV shows of all time. And I just got such a feel of, oh, this is, that's why I think I really felt, felt a lot, really happy watching this movie because it, it had sort of that familiar familiarity that I love about the X-Files. There's that mystery and there's um like what's next, but you know it's going to be something something supernatural, but you're not sure what. Exactly. And that's why I loved about it, you know? And, you know, another thing that winds up happening within this film itself is this. When you see the dog and then the dog is running, then you see the guy who crashed the helicopter. Yeah. He's shooting after the dog. So our human instincts is the first reaction, which is to protect the dog from getting shot. Mm -hmm. And we don't understand the reason why that that helicopter why the Norwegian man was trying to shoot the dog. Our first instinct is to protect the dog and shoot the Norwegian guy So because of the fact that he's endangering this dog. So that's yeah. something that I really... Yeah, I agree. And it, I mean, it, and it's and it's like, it's got to be so crazy for them to be like, so there's this dog and there's somebody shooting at it. First of all, how'd the dog get there? And then why are these people following them? And then they can't question them because they end up dying. And it's, I think it's a great setup for the movie. And, and I think it did that beautiful cinematic, um, like you had this this beautiful photography of the landscape which I just thought was so beautiful I think that might have been shot in Alaska if I'm not mistaken but it's just gorgeous it's beautiful it definitely is beautiful and you know what Marcus Goodwin just commented he said great horror story storylines with uh, a slow slow pace intentionally to create a mystery of the story and then slowly increase the pace of terror to fulfill the audience hunger for more I definitely agree with that I it definitely too. gives you that hunger for more. Yeah, I think that's and a really that's a really good way to to say it. I think that's really good. Yeah, I agree. It's true. It definitely is. And then, like we were talking about with the dog, with the mystery element of the dog, and then us trying to protect the dog, and then. Once you see the damage and the implications that happens uh, whenever they go over to the cabin, because now you have a, like a little bit of the spookiness 
mm-hmm. like going into an abandoned part of Antarctica, which is something that I thought was actually pretty cool to yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, and then they and then and then when they get over there and they find like they're like they don't know what was there. They're like, what what were they? What did they find? What was here? Like, and you just don't know what it is. I mean, it it took a while. I mean, it, I, like I said, I had seen the movie before, but I hadn't seen it for so long, and I had forgot kind of where where the movie was going. But when they put the dog in the kennel with the other dogs, then you're like, oh, oh, something's happening. Something's going to happen. And then I was freaking out because I'm like, if, if these dogs like die on camera, I'm done. I'm it. I'm going to tell John we're picking a different movie because <laughs> I couldn't remember what happened. And I right. mean, of course, it was a little graphic, but um, but it, it's it's it was such a great foreshadowing when they did that and put him in there and their the other dogs are like not happy. He's he's there. No. And speaking of foreshadowing, remember that one scene where they go into the abandoned camp to find out what happened to these other people? And they wind up thinking that they're going stir crazy, that they're having cabin fever. But even Doc is like, no, this is not enough time for them to go that level. And they travel like an hour to go to that camp. But if you notice that there's actually an axe that's actually placed on the door where the axe broke, that's actually foreshadowing. There's there's an actual the part of the axe that's broke, the head of the and what winds up happening is remember when they're trying to get doc out of that room with the axe yeah and it's like beat for beat uh, kind of what actually happened at that camp and now it's now their turn to have to go through that same thing that they did so it's very reminiscent yeah i i that's such a great pickup john i did not notice that i actually didn't pick that up at all i'm glad you did though because now i now i now i totally get what you're saying but at first i i didn't notice the axe at all but it, it's true so what was happening is the same thing that happened but they didn't know that right exactly and i was just thinking to myself why would you bring this thing into your place and you see how it's you, you see the damage that this thing is actually doing to somebody on the inside yeah. and i'm thinking why would you go on ahead and do an examination on this thing <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm it, like, that's- yeah, I, I mean, I, obviously it's a plot. It's a device, <laughs> but I see what you're saying. I, I would, I would have been like, uh, this dog, where'd this dog come from? So right at the beginning, I would have been a little sus, but you know, I've never been to Antarctica and I probably never will. So <laughs> I don't know what it does to you when you're like, oh, okay, here's a strange dog that just shows up. But yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot more foreshadowing that I missed now that you're saying you're talking about that axe too. But one thing I do want to say is it's a big cast. So it was a little hard to keep track of everybody and what everybody was doing. So I actually like had to write down, I actually have it here, write down like the actors because I recognize most of the actors and then put their names just to keep track of it because it's a, it's a big cast for a, a horror movie, even though it's just them there's nobody else mostly it's still a lot yeah it's a lot to keep track of because so much is happening at once and things are happening off screen and you have to kind of keep track of who that is too so i didn't dislike it i just to me that was a little bit a lot to keep a little bit uh, challenging to keep track of it, it was fine. It I was. just overthink that stuff sometimes. That's all. I definitely agree. I mean, there is a big, huge cast of characters and actors in this movie to where you can't keep up with it that much. So I'm glad that you actually took notes with that because, you know, as, whenever I start, whenever I start forgetting certain characters names, I start giving them nicknames. So oh, yeah, uh, that's a good idea. But let's see. Marcus also says dog was a great uh, primer for the story because it was never done within a horror element before a great surprise. It definitely was a great surprise. And also, too, 
the okay, if you notice the camera angles with the dog, and it's just following the dog. It has a very Stanley Cooper uh Kubrick kind of feel, like with yeah. the shining. Yeah. That small hallway kind of vibe to it. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. And I and I, you know, it's it's hard to remember. And I was just thinking about it when I was watching it. I was like, so was this a trope at the time, or was this actually like where the where the trope started? Just because of that was really one of the big, probably one of the first after Halloween, like cinematic horror movies. They weren't as I mean, they made them in the 70s, but they weren't the same scale that they became in the 80s. I mean, horror movies really took over in the 80s. They were in the movie theaters. They they were direct to video. You could go every Friday night and get a different movie. And so it's hard to remember back that far like, oh, that's right. They didn't really have the dogs weren't really used. But today it's kind of a it's kind of a trope. Yeah. Most definitely. And Marcus also says, horror movies like this will never be made again with such detail and depth with a story that keeps you wanting more. Hollywood has become desperate to create what they forgot how to do. They forgot how to create film that lives and breathes. Mm -hmm. Now, I agree with that, but also too, I think the only one that comes close to actually making something close to this would be like James Wan when it comes down to Conjuring, the first two Conjuring films. To me, it has that slow build and the characterization with the characters and stuff like that. So that's like the the closest thing I can come to modern day horror, but you're mm -hmm. absolutely right when it comes down to movies being done like this. So yeah. that's something I definitely agree. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot about cinema from the 80s that I miss, like, especially when you're talking about like the suspense film, that's what I truly miss. And then you really don't find that anymore. I mean, the actual like fatal attraction kind of suspense where you're like on the edge of your seat waiting to see what happens next. It's a great story. There's so much happening and you just want to know what happens in the end. And films like that, just they're fil filmmaking is so different and, and they're so focused on like genres now and, you know, franchises. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the word I was thinking now. of. Yeah, it, 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 and th there's nothing wrong with that at all, except if you're not into franchises or it's Friday night and you're really feeling like wanting to see a suspense film, that they don't make them like that anymore, which isn't to say they don't have great films on Netflix and other places you can find it. They just they just aren't in the, in the theater anymore or as often anymore. So I agree with Marcus's oh, point. I think that's the same thing with horror movies as well. It, when it was a bigger genre, there was a lot more care taken to the storyline itself. And to get like really well-known actors, I mean, Kurt Russell was a big star by this point. You know, he was a child actor, so he'd already been around for 20 years exactly and no wonder why john carpenter kept on wanting him in his movies you have escape from la you have escape yep. from new york yep. you have him in uh big trouble in little china you have him in the thing so they work perfect together and i love the whole entire thing where you know we're basically you have this whole entire thing with a relationship between director and actor which mm -hmm. you don't really see that much other than martin Scorsese whenever he uses his actors in the best way that he can yeah. so let's see brandy asks is it worth watching definitely worth watching baby uh i know that you you don't like horror movies but to me this has a suspense kind of feel to it and then once yeah. that tension is let go it's released here's another thing whenever it comes down to the dog thing and then you see two different heads and it's being split yeah as well because there's actually another dog within that thing because it's actually trying to shape shift into that the dog and try to come mm -hmm. up with the best basically the best species that he they can actually think of the way that species can become that thing so i definitely like that whole entire element and then you have the whole entire deal where you see a bunch of uh let's see here a bunch of squiggly things coming out of the dog you wind up seeing the other dog 
the dog that is the thing trying to attack the other dogs. The other dogs are trying to escape. So you're wondering, oh my God, how are they going to get out of this situation that they're in, that these guys are in? Yeah. So Yeah. And then they decided pretty early that fire was the way to do it. But I'm not sure like why why and how they decided that. That was one thing I didn't really well, kind of get. I got that. Okay. Because so- once again, it's foreshadowing into what happened to the other camp. If you actually notice, there's actually kerosene. There's actually uh, bottles of kerosene of, of uh, gasoline that they were, that the other people used. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that they saw that and was like, well, the only source of way of actually getting rid of this thing is to torch, torch it. Yeah. Except for, though that they didn't because the dog came. You know what I mean? Like to me, that would have been like, oh, maybe that didn't work if, if it survived. But then again, they didn't know that until later on. Right. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that makes sense. I just wasn't sure exactly how that, how that was. And I thought maybe part of it was for effect because lots of big fireball kind of were, were a good effect. They made a great, a special effect. So, so I think I'll talk about what I thought was the scariest special effect part and that was to me when that the head who was that that wasn't dr blair was it oh, the head that kind of the grew no. the tentacles it was almost like a spider but which character was that i can't even remember anymore was it Nalls, maybe or clark you know which one i'm talking about when they when that yeah. it's like his head and it was his head was upside down it and was he Nalls. was going yeah, was it Nalls? okay so i believe it was, I Nalls. was it almost had a spider effect so i wasn't sure if it was like spider legs or tentacles or whatever it was but his head was upside down it was really i thought that was scarier than the other ones where they just kind of showed the innards and stuff to be honest with you this that was a scary scene whenever it comes with the head pain popped off yeah but the scary thing was when they're doing the autopsy and then you see him try to cut and then he spreads it open and then he goes in to get the intestines and see what it is then all of a sudden that stomach just closes up and then rips the guy's arms off yeah, i'm that like was oh, that part right that part right there got me to where it was actually creepy well, don't get me wrong the I head falling off it was yeah. creepy yeah yeah, I forgot that happened until I saw it again. I didn't forget because here's the thing. That was actually seen in the new Ghostbusters Afterlife movie as well. Okay. Because you have Paul Rudd who's showing these students. Basically, he's a substitute teacher. So he's putting okay. on Child's Play 2 for the kids to watch. Then <laughs> the next day, he has the thing playing. And the guys. And then you can see the clip from that movie where the guy's head is coming off. So I I'm ha- like, okay. I, actually, yeah, okay, yeah, I haven't seen I that one watching. yet. You're watching the thing. <laughs> That's funny. Is that what gave you it's the really idea good. to watch it again? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I have to. It's on my list. To be honest with you, well, to be honest with you, the reason why I wanted to do this was because of the fact that you know the thing has always been a cult classic. Yeah. When it comes down to the movie and stuff like that, so that's one reason why I wanted to review it. Number two, I like John Carpenter and the things that yeah. he's done with it. Yeah. So that's an, and I also want to do my John Carpenter rankings, and la- that's going to come later on after this review. But you know, I I really fell in love with this movie for what it is, and I. Because movies today have become a vehicle to thin out a storyline so much just for profit instead of the possibility of visage that creates a world that sinks you in. Alien and Aliens did this. The Thing did this. They created characters that anyone can relate to in in the real world and then make you think that it was possible so many unknowns to keep involved. To be honest with you, Marcus, you actually hit the nail on the head with that because it's dealing with realism. It's dealing with characters that how we would react in certain situations when it comes down to survival. 
when it comes down to that. And you also have a thing where you have a relationship with these characters, just like how we would have relationships with our friends. So that's something else that I really liked was because you have the banter between the, uh, I forgot what the other character's name was, where he's smoking weed and oh. he lights one up. He's kind of like the conspiracy theorist in a sense. I'm just trying to think of who that was. Um, That might, um, that's not, that, it wasn't Clark. Palmer? Was it Palmer? No, Palmer. no I can't Palmer. remember. Palmer. Yeah. I think no, it's Palmer. I, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was Palmer. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was. But yeah, it just to me, those characters seem real and very realistic on how they would survive. And we would be doing the same thing that they were doing. If we, they, if we were in that situation. Percent. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I agree with Marcus about about um, you know, just making a profit. And I, and I've actually personally, I don't. So you know, John, I like to read a lot, and and then a lot of times the books that that we all read become movies, and sometimes it's just a cash grab. A lot of times it's just a cash grab, and I just don't like movies like that where it's just. And, and one example, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, uh, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. I love that book. I love her as an author, but I just wouldn't watch the movie because it was clearly a cash grab they they hired ben affleck which who is a good actor i don't have a problem with that but he he is not at all the age of the character in the book and it's like well is why did you hire him you know what i mean because you knew people would go to the movie theater to see him and i just rather see a more authentic film and it's and it's no offense to ben affleck and i'm sure he doesn't care what i think anyway but <laughs> but it, it just when it feels like a cash grab i'm not interested and and the thing isn't gotcha. like that it was it, it wasn't like that it wasn't that at all they took really good they had really great actors who all went on to have or were already in the middle of great careers and used those strengths of those actors and and there you go and now you have this this cult film that didn't do great in the theater it did fine it made money but people didn't really really appreciate it until after it came out on hbo and cinemax and and you could you know this was right in the very beginning of being able to rent movies the vcr it just if it was even in it was not in house it wasn't a household thing yet quite yet at this point but by the time movies would come out it would be a year anyway so right and uh the by the way the character we were thinking of is windows windows was the name oh, of the guy yeah yeah thank you thank you i don't know why i don't have thank you appreciate that yeah right that's exactly right that was the guy that had the glasses on so my thing is this now the other thing that i really thought that was really smart of them to do was do the blood testing and finding out who's the real alien who was the thing and who wasn't the thing and about how they have to uh pretty much stick together to find out who who's real and who isn't and i liked how you know the kurt russell's character is basically just going over there with um some copper wire and testing out the blood samples inside the little glass container and going through each one and then whenever you have that one jump scare because you don't know who's gonna be the one that winds up who was the real one or not yeah that that really surprises you yeah you're right and i mean i and i thought the blood the blood testing also was a little bit ahead of its time even because really it wasn't something that you would have thought to do so i really liked that i was like oh that's right it was a little bit ahead of its time in that regard too i mean i think it was a little ahead of its time with the special effects as well but um but yeah and i mean and i think the jump scares were good there weren't too many of them there weren't tremendous amount and and the other thing that that i found is that there's just a lot going on in the background which was really a smart way to add tension because you don't know why that person left and then it, later on they were off doing what they said they were going to do and and then i was started fixating on the pair of long johns that lost the that they cut the tag out of that they found in the garbage because i was like oh i forgot about that now who was that you know i i like that it added suspense and and the things that were happening or not happening off screen added suspense because we didn't we didn't know until 
until later, everything that was playing out. Exactly. And let's see here. Marcus also says, True horror is about surprise, no expectations, just a huge slap in the face, an element of horror that you never experienced or expected. Too many movies build up the horror with an, a small expectation. Then he says, exactly, a great storyline makes you think about your surroundings and ways out. And a great horror movie is true escape escapism. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Because you're wondering the whole entire... It is, because it's all about trying to find the way out, how they're going to survive this, if they're even going to survive this. And that's something that I really took in consideration while watching this because you're wondering the whole time how are they going to get out of this situation because nobody trusts each other right the point and where they're, they're also, all going to break right and they're also literally in the middle of nowhere and they can't it's not like they can run outside and survive that's not going to happen you know you just need equip you need equipment just to walk outside where they were and also i mean i, I think mccready might have been the only one who could who could take the um, helicopter out. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they could all just run to a helicopter and any one of them could drive it out. Another thing too, you also have Doc who winds up taking the uh, battery, destroying the battery, destroying yep. the equipment to where they can't get out because he's afraid if they get out someone's going to affect the whole entire community of where they live at so therefore that whole community is going to die wherever state or town that they're in so it's better to have them isolated here to where they're not going to get away and at first kurt russell and everybody else is thinking oh they're just this is just a crazy guy who yeah. just you know just went berserk but no that's not what happened and i'm sure this is also what happened with the other camp where somebody thought that this other guy is just going under cabin fever and stuff like that and he's really not he's just basically you know just trying to help them survive yeah exactly and i and i think to, to Marcus's point too, like that that underlying like what and what and what you're saying to reinforce what you're saying is like they they're like well there's the camp that says well we can't escape because if anybody's infected they're gonna like you were saying go get kill the whole village the world or whatever's next but at the same time they're literally in a space where there's really no escape you know what I mean like putting the horror movie in Antarctica was so smart I mean I know it was based on a short story but it it made for great cinema definitely so let's also talk about something else too because th this movie is just fantastic i can't i'm just geeked out over it yeah, <laughs> but, I know. but he also sabotage like i said he kills the remaining sled dogs that's also another thing that the doc winds up doing he destroys the radio to prevent escape cooper suggests testing our infection like we said by comparing the crew's blood against uh uncontaminated blood held in a storage but after learning the blood uh stores have been destroyed the man loses faith in grace leadership and make uh, uh ready takes command so that's also another thing that winds up happening where they don't even trust each other to the point where now it's like, well, who's in charge here? Yeah, because it doesn't right. matter who's in charge because they're all going to be not trusting each other too. Yeah, right. Because I mean, I, I think I got the impression or I don't remember if they said early on how long. It, I don't think they'd been there very long. So they might not have even known each other that well to begin with. You know what I mean? I don't know. They, they never mentioned how long they'd been there or anything like that because I want to say that they've only probably been there for a couple months per se so therefore they don't really trust each other already so that makes yeah. it even more exciting at the fact and more scarier because they don't try they don't even know each other that well to be able to talk to each other be like well you know i have your back you got my back kind of situation right and it's all about trusting them and having to know their personalities because i was like well what happens if i turn into the thing how, how will you know so that's also another scary thing is like who's fake and who's not and how do you know if i'm actually who i say i am right and then and then they added of like 
this dog's been wandering around all day long. Who who has he gone to see? How long was he with you? What happened? You know what I mean? Like they're 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 just so mistrustful of of everything everybody's saying, and with good reason. I mean, clearly we have a really good reason to be like somewhat paranoid because they really are in tremendous peril there. And as it kind of sinks in, they're kind of like, oh geez, and then they got to pick a new leader, and who's that going to be? Well, I mean, the guy that's like drinking um, J and B like it's Kool Aid, maybe not the best choice, but still the cutest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if Kurt Russell said, hey, I'm going to take charge, I'm thinking that I'm going to let him take charge because of the fact that, you know, he, yeah, he's drinking, but at the same time, he's also making sense to the point where, okay, you know, you talk to the doc, you know what's up, you know uh, that we have to try and rely on each other, but we also have to go on ahead and do this testing, so therefore I have to stick with you. That's yeah, just me, the, but... No, I think he was the best choice. I just, I was making a little joke, but I mean... But, right, they, male dominance, though, too. Yeah. Yeah, right. But they really didn't have a lot of a lot of choice in in who they picked. And I don't even think McCready really wanted to be in charge. I think that just kind of happened. Oh, Marcus uh, just said something, too. He said in the comic, not really canon, they were stationed for three months with only a few of them who have been deployed stationed together previously. Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah, even though that's not canon, I think that makes the most logical sense on that standpoint yeah. when it comes down to that. Yeah, um, McCready um, was the only one with previous military experience too, so he was the best choice. Okay, so that I mean that makes sense. It's it totally makes sense, and I think I think it makes sense that they weren't together that long. I mean, I suppose when you're with somebody twenty four seven, you get to know them pretty well in three months. But I didn't get the feeling they were, were that close. And also because they had said that the Norwegians or the sweet were they Swedish? No, it's Norwegians. We're only I think they said they were there for three months and somehow or other I got the idea that this group, McCready's group, wasn't there as long as the Norwegians were. I don't know where it was that I got that feeling. I just did. So I would say definitely less than three months they'd been together. That makes sense though, for them to be mm-hmm. there for three months and having their yeah. guards up. Yeah. Not everybody's very trusting within three months either. So no, that's also- and the other and the other thing is, and this may not have even been intentional, but my understanding is when you're in the Antarctic or even in Alaska, you know, in some parts it gets so cold and it seemed like it wasn't tremendously cold. And I think in the Antarctic when they bring people back and forth, they're they do it when the temperatures are, you know, higher than what they normally are, which is still quite cold. That's kind of why I got that impression because they were still able to kind of go outside for short periods of time. And I thought, well, if they if they were to come, they probably came recently because once the weather gets so bad, you can't just come and go. It's, it's not possible. And not only that, but they also have blizzards. They also have a bunch of other things going on. So there's no any source of help either. So let's say, for instance, that you do call in. Let's say, for instance, that the, one of the characters wind up calling in help. That does not necessarily mean they're going to come right away because of certain storms because even Kurt Russell's character is like well we have a storm coming so we're going to see who's actually who they say they are in a few minutes yeah exactly yeah yeah they I mean it's just not possible to travel during certain parts and 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 I think that they made they did a really good job of I mean I guess another case of foreshadowing where they're like well you know this weather's going to get really bad in 45 minutes or whatever it is and we're not going to be able to go but they do but then you get the sense that that happens often enough that it's just not possible to travel all the time exactly so now you're having to worry if they're even going to get to them on time or if it's going to be too late for them yes. to the point where they both kill each other mm-hmm. because that's basically what winds up happening at the end of this movie where now you have a face-off between Kurt russell's character uh between uh mac ready and you know and blair and blair just looks at him they're both exhausted and it's like okay 
So what's going to happen next? <laughs> because it's like, well, I guess we'll see you in a couple of hours, but I'm too tired for this shit. So I'm just, gonna... <laughs> so it's like, Hey, if we cancel each other out, we cancel each other out. It was nice working with you. And that's how I'm at. Right on. Uh, let's see. Marcus says I have deployed. I have deployed multiple times in a tight knit community. You either have to get along or get out. So if you can't connect better than a, as an average family, someone will die. You have to learn, uh, learn to trust in each other yep most definitely mm-hmm. thank you for your service marcus thank you we do appreciate that man thank you for your service dude but yeah it's like at the very end of this film it's like okay well either it's going to be between them two or they're just going to kill basically the thing is going to kill to kill them both yeah i mean that's why it, it's a crazy ending and it's almost like oh was i satisfied with that ending you know what i mean it's because it's but it's like oh how else were they going to end this movie right because it, like i said either they're going to die freezing to death because maybe neither one of them are the thing or they are both the thing and then they wind up killing each other and they're both dead so either way it goes right but if they are both the thing too they could survive out there right because that's you know what i mean like so if they were both things they would in theory survive the loss of the camp well from what i remember though and this is me thinking and you can correct me if i'm wrong marcus if you can but i'm thinking that because of the fact that it was cold and they couldn't stand cold conditions yeah, because I mean, remember- I, I, yeah, you're right, because that's why they buried him in in the snow. But the dog made it. But maybe that's because the dog was is a, sn- a sled dog. I was thinking because the dog did it, made it. But maybe because the dog was already like trained to be out in the weather. That is, that's that's also another thing. Yeah. So, okay. So my thinking, my reasoning might have been a little flawed there based on what happened earlier in the film. I can understand why. uh, I could understand why you would think that, though. It makes sense, though, in your theory, though, too. So, I mean, neither one of us could be right or wrong. It's just us speculating and having fun over it, too. So They, they never made it. There was never a thing to made, right? I don't I don't think. Well, they did make another thing movie. Okay. And what I think that I think it was like 2005 or 2006 somewhere around that area. But it was a prequel-based film. So it's basically telling you about what happened in that other camp before Kurt Russell's group came. Ooh, I gotta watch that. I'm kind of interested. See, I didn't know that. I thought it was uh, just another remake. I don't need to see a remake or whatever. But once I found out recently that this was actually a prequel, it makes me interested in seeing that. So if you want to come back on and do the review for that and do a follow-up with this. Yeah, Because I think, yeah, because I'd like to compare this to the prequel and get that kind of understanding too. Yeah, I think, and I think for a movie like this a prequel makes way more sense than a sequel you know because sometimes a sequel to a movie in my opinion it it just you just can't you can't compare it it's not it's not worth it and replicate it no you can't you can't have that magic come back and maybe somebody would come up with a good enough idea but when you're talking about sequels sometimes you're again just talking about profit and then you don't have as good of a product as you might otherwise have exactly because i also feel like this even if you do a prequel of getting a sequel what are you going to do with kurt russell um how did he survive did he even survive are you going to do it with another group of people and how are they connected in with this other p- thing after 30 years yeah. so you know you can't go ahead and do you can do a movie in uh, uh, 30 years later be seen it before but it doesn't have that amplification that we had going into this film in the 1980s right. and having that love for it like we would you know yeah. what i'm saying yeah and i and i feel like they even if they had a, a sequel in mind because they didn't it didn't make a lot of money four million dollars is that what it was about it's not a big profit even in the early 80s so so that may have been why a sequel was not made. But then at the time, too, we got to remember that there was no such thing as direct to video, which is a lot of what franchises did to make money. Because if you love the first film, they knew they could just throw anything together.
another and somebody's going to go spend a dollar or two dollars to rent it. But that wasn't okay. an option that early on. I think the VCR really didn't start getting into households until at least 84, maybe ish. I want to say we got about our first one in 83 or 84. About 85, I would like to say, because also too, we also, that's actually the, whenever we start getting uh, video stores. Like okay. blockbusters. Yeah. yeah. And before that, it was just little mom and pops. I remember I grew up in a really small town and um, our original rental store before Blockbuster became a thing um, was <laughs> was in a liquor store. This guy had just a little shelf of videos and you could rent a v- VCR. Back then, you would have to, a lot of houses did because they didn't have they them so and they were expensive. Yeah. So you would rent the VCR and then you would rent the movies and then you, and they were heavy, you know, so you're <laughs> like carrying this thing out with two people because they're so, no, they weren't quite that heavy but they were heavy it does feel like you need two people though Uh, like we had those big huge blocky ones too though beth seriously so i know what you're talking about and then you had to like try and hook that up to this 500 pound tv You couldn't just move that around that easily either. Let's see. Marcus said two, two more things. And then after we wind up getting to his stuff, we'll start wrapping it up. Okay. So it's a great story. This is the best ending. It doesn't need a sequel. Let the audience make their own decisions. Temps can go down to a negative 150, depending on the windshield without tactical for- form of heat. Like a fire, there's no way to survive that. I've summered in McMurdo. That was tolerable to a point. Uh, w- Winterling, there is a whole other level. Yeah, I can imagine dude um so as far as the prequel it really ended up as a remake with an with an ending that tied the two films together and really had cgi and the spacecraft that made no sense a cheap excuse for whatever they could have made in an interesting story and you see i feel like you can tell a story with practical effects mixed in with a little bit of cgi but you don't need to over saturate it with cgi otherwise it takes me out i'm looking at you van helsing um, <laughs> then, um but yeah i just feel like there's oversaturation of cgi for no apparent reason and other than to make it look beautiful as a matter of fact the chowski brothers was really bad about doing jupiter ascending where basically all their budget went towards the special effects versus the plot and the direction of it and that was one bad thing that i could say about the blachowski sisters when it comes down to the storyization and stuff like that yeah too, with jupiter's ending i agree with you i think you have to be and i think that happened a lot now i'm i know people are gonna very much disagree with me but i think that happened with the original dune they spent so much time on not cgi but just just on like making it well i, I guess like the special effects but just making it like this big beautiful movie but there was no plot it was boring it was long it wasn't a good movie which i know people are not going to agree with me on but um All i'm going to stand by though. i'm going to stand by that dis- hey, that point it it, it really had a, yeah it had a big budget it focused way too much on the look of the movie and not enough on the plot and not enough on keeping it interesting and you can have a beautiful set i love that but it has to be interesting and if if it's not the audience just i know and i know a lot of people don't agree but i've also heard that the remake is way better i haven't seen remake, it because i still didn't like the first one I I'm going to be honest with you. If you go into the new Dune, it's re- really fantastic. It's just that the way it ends, it sets up for another movie, yeah. which is supposed to be this big epic. So mm-hmm. if you're wondering why it ended the way it did, expect it because of the fact that it's supposed to be another couple of movies after that, too. Um, yeah. As a photographer, videographer, I will, I will always prefer practical effects, especially for the actor's to actually act to make it real or don't make it. I agree, Marcus. Mm-hmm. I definitely We're agree. looking at you, cats. 
<laughs> oh my god! You know, that, I actually have a friend of mine that defends cats. I said, "Were you high?" And I know I'm, you. You eat. And I said this to myself. I know you. You eat edibles all, all the time, like it's going out of style. And you live in Vegas, so you no wonder why you like that. You were high the whole time. I gotta uh, tell not, you, <laughs> Cats is one of my favorite musicals. I love Cats. I love the the theater and going to see cats in the theater. That movie was what just happened. It was terrible because the special effects destroyed the movie. And what they should have done was have live action instead of like taking the live action and then doing what they did. And it's just, bleh. but that's, that's exactly a really good example of when you take the special effects too far and now you have a garbage movie. Most definitely. So I think that's everything that we wanted to cover as far as the thing. Uh, Marcus, man, I do appreciate you commenting in the comment section right that's on. a big thank you yeah um by the way we do it marcus we also have a youtube channel so if you want to go over there smash the subscribe button over there as well and hit that on bell for the notifications but dude thank you so much for interacting with us i enjoy this is why i like doing my live shows yeah is to have that interaction with our, my, my subscribers with my fans and stuff like that and you know what? We'll, we might actually do Alien and Aliens. I might have to talk to one of my other co-hosts and have Beth on here with one of my co-hosts. Because that's yeah, the first time that yeah. I, I would love to do. I mean, if, if um since uh the thing may not work out because it doesn't sound like it's a great movie, but um I would love to talk about aliens. That would be awesome. So with that being said, Beth, where can everybody find you at? You can find me. I am the Made for TV Movie Club podcast. I'm half of the Made for TV Movie Club podcast. And you can find us. You know what? Just give us a hat. Give our hashtag a Google. It is MFTVMC podcast. And that. And if you Google that, everything will come up. But we're so on. My question we're is a, this. Yeah. So that's not Mother Afro TV, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> made for <laughs> TV. <laughs> gotcha. 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 So we're on. We're, and we're. You can hear us. We don't have a YouTube channel. We are on all of the podcast apps, though. We're on all. The, I think we're on all of them, but all the major ones for sure. So give us a Google and, and come and listen. We just actually did. Um, we reviewed Killer Bees, which had um, starred Kate Jackson and Gloria Swanson's last um, film role and her her first made for TV movie and her very last film role. If you don't know who Gloria Swanson is, she played Norman Norma Desmond. So she she was a huge movie star. She was I think in her mid or eight, late 70s at the time and she was just gl glorious it's a great 70s flick horror movie it was good awesome so here's the thing so speaking of the thing uh so <laughs> yeah just going ahead uh movie lovers unite is actually going to be where you can find me at and matter of fact i have a facebook page all that stuff all the links for my stuff is going to be in the links below where you guys can actually find us and follow us and all that stuff and alex has his own youtube channel called a town review so go in and check him out he does a fantastic job over there so always until next time it's been real it's been fun i can't wait to do this again thank you so much again beth for joining me it's thank always you, a pleasure you're always. very welcome and marcus please comment more because i enjoyed yeah, our conversation it was really nice thanks marcus for your input it, it actually really helped i think it really added to the conversation definitely 